Hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Lily Cox. And I'm Nikki Pope. And this week, we're talking about how to grow your business without losing your identity or integrity as a brand. We're joined by two brilliant business brains, which is quite hard to say. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, we have Penny Etheridge with us, the oh. owner of Radiant Hair and Beauty Consultancy. Penny is a hairdresser by profession and had a very successful group of salons in the 90s, which she will tell us about, but more recently has become a consultant helping small businesses to grow, helping to turn around businesses, and I think she's got lots of ideas to share with us on that. Yeah, it's an impressive resume. And joining Penny, we're delighted to have Tim Binnington with us. He's been in the hairdressing industry since he was 16 and has spent the majority of his career at Headmasters. He's now commercial director there and most recently his entrepreneurial spirit has led him to create the innovative Manta Brush. Welcome. 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 Good. Thank you for joining us. Lillian, I wanted to invite you two here because you do have that hairdressing by profession background but have become very focused on building businesses. Tim now with a very big business group, mm-hmm. but actually equally in recent years, you're growing another smaller business of your own alongside that. So I think that's quite, quite an interesting overview. Yeah, yeah, we, I've been with Headmaster since 16, so yeah, over 30 years now. <clears throat> and we've grown that to a substantial size, nearly 60 salons. Um, but during that time, I've spent less and less time at Headmasters. So we actually do, seems mad, two days a week each director does. So wow. I had more time, which was important. And in my time of life, I, I had ideas of what I wanted to do. I wasn't ready to sort of stop working. So I've invented a, a new hairbrush called Manta. Penny, I know that you grew your business Storm hairdressing in the 90s up to how many salons? It was four salons. Um... Yeah, those that that company Storm uh, we sold in two thousand three, and uh, it it wasn't a forced decision. It was a a, a decision that we'd taken it as uh, the company as far as we could. We were very very successful, and we sold to another salon group, which was interesting about identity and how mm. you keep identity. Mm. And we'd obviously at that time Storm was an incredibly strong brand. So how did that work out? Gosh. In, the, in working through the future and, that, and that's a very mixed yeah. ending to is it, that is it emo- was it emotional because you started the company yes um, it was and I, and I do think that women uh, and bearing in mind this industry as you will know Tim is made up of 80% women that's mm-hmm. still a huge yeah, majority a lot, yeah. isn't it and we are emotional creatures whether we like it or not you know we are we are emotional mm-hmm. and so starting with one small salon and and growing it to having over 80 employees and and learning along the way through bitter experience often uh how little i knew about business and how much i had to learn uh, you know it wasn't good enough to be a good hairdresser mm-hmm. um it was in, i put a lot of my heart into it yeah and for it to to be sold, it it was it was a, I went into um, a kind of a limbo for a couple of years, and in actual fact, um, went and did consultancy for another company. I I know that you said in the beginning, Nikki, about how I turn businesses around, and and that's what I did do with this company based in Ascot for four years, and then after that, you know, I think I was all spent. I think I was all spent out, and I had a career break and went into something completely different for two years. Um, which what was, was that? it was? Do you know what? I, w- I went and worked for Zoopla, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the uh, website. Yeah, yeah that's right. So what I knew about property portals. Yes, it's a property <laughs> selling website. Yeah, but it was website. great yeah. because I came back to the industry with fresh eyes. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is all relevant as to, yeah. you know, we need to keep having fresh eyes on our business. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. That's one thing that setting up a new business has done. And we've always been like that at Headmasters. We always look sort of outside the industry for inspiration. Um, and as you get bigger... I think sometimes you can sort of lose sight of that and you can get a bit insular. Yeah. So um, if you get narrow minded, so really it's looking at this wider perspective on all businesses. Um, we're a service industry, and so it, there's lots of other service industries you can pick from, and Zoopla is exactly the same. It is a service still. It's all about talking yeah. to, to people, yeah. and it's all about doing great consultative, um, sorry, consultative. Um, meetings so that somebody wants to buy your product and whether we're selling hairdressing or whether we're selling a property portal I know some hairdressers hate this but we're in the game of selling yeah mm. not to say you lose your moral compass yeah your ethics but we still sell yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I think we need to grasp that a bit better sometimes within this industry I'm interested, almost perhaps, uh, I know this is like starting at the end, but when you are selling a business or letting go of something, um, as we said, Penny, it could be quite emotional. Tim, does Headmasters only grow from the inside or do you, do you ever take over or buy other salons? No, it's a really good question. We only grow internally to a point it's stifled our growth somewhat because even franchisees we have are only managers that we've had. So mm-hmm. it's not that we take people from outside the... Uh, it's people that have worked as managers in our salons and have grown. Um, so we've always sort of grown internally, which means you can't expand quickly, but the culture is still there. Yeah. Um, but one thing I would say as well, that sometimes when you're growing a business, and we were talking about just having one salon growing to two, it's massive because you're doubling your whole business. Yeah. Um, it's good to have an objective of where you want to end up because even if you said at point one, mm-hmm. I want to set a salon up, that's generally an emotional thing, isn't it, Penny? Mm, to set a salon yeah. up, get it running. Then you try and aim for where you want to get to. So if you said, oh, actually, I could do a second one, but you could also do, it's quite fun to work out what if I had a third or a fourth mm-hmm. or a fifth. So even in the early days, it's a good idea to, to know whether you are ever going to be aspiring to being a 10 salon group or a multinational. Because or... most times people open up and it's opportunities will come up and they can react mm. to them. Yeah. When you're getting one or two salons, it's fine. But even like Penny said, when you've got four salons, there's strategically, if you start getting more and more, there's different stresses on the business and you have to approach it differently. So knowing where you want to get to is the most important thing, which I'm not saying we did because we grew organically over years and it was as the demand became bigger, we sort of grew. And, that, you know, there, and then there's challenges to how you get your finance and stuff like that and how you grow. Penny, for you, so you obviously had a one salon and then you grew obviously to four, but what was your main drive in opening your first salon? Was, was the, it a business drive or no, an emotional no, and, drive? And, and I think that I'm pretty um, reflective of why a lot of people in this industry open up their own salons, mm-hmm. because I wanted to express my individuality um, I was I really loved photo shoots and within the company I, I was employed there wasn't those opportunities so I was driven by wanting to be independent more creatively right and I honestly didn't think about the money well I didn't think about the money till the bills started coming in through the door and I thought hell hell, hell. you know never mind about a photo 
photo shoot, honey. You know, you've got a lucky bill here sitting on reception, yeah? And the other thing, it was all very well that I was a great team player and I got on with fellow hairdressers, but it's a different ball game when you employ them. And that was a sharp lesson for me as well, that I had to become a lot more structured in how I dealt with people and had my conversations with them. Yeah. Um, some of the lessons sure. that I learned along the way was, you know, you've got to do appraisals and you've got to do them properly. And that's whether you employ three people, 33 or 133. Mm. There's got to be that structure but, in place. But do you some, that's sorry. also, Penny, at the moment, there's a, a trend. We employ everyone in our business. Mm. Um, but there is a trend with hairdressers to just have people renting chairs. Yeah. Well, yes. And, and uh, that's always <coughs> a challenge, isn't it, with a appraisals or but the thing is Tim and, and and you know this one you've grown your company or been part of a team that's grown your company through employment and that's exactly how I grew mm. Storm and how I encourage fellow salon owners to grow their business as soon as you start doing self-employed or rented chair you're going to start diluting your identity because you you have no legal rights to impose your culture and your identity on self-employed people I think a lot of people are worried about growing and becoming more businesslike and losing their creative side of being well, a hairdresser. So as yeah. you're starting to manage your team, having to institute structures, you know, meet the accountant and grow that way. And I think that's a big challenge for some hairdressers who, who want to grow but still really want to be creative. I think you'd still be creative though. I mean, definitely. Too, I, think. I think there's a there's a, a point as, as well. When you're growing, we talked about this before with Storm and Headmasters, they're... There is no one called Mr. Headmasters or Mr. Storm, Mrs. Yeah. Storm. Mm. It, it, it's trying to get a brand built up, and that's what we're talking about. When you build a brand, just do one salon to that's what you're building. Um, so you want it to be sort of interdependent. You don't want it to be totally reliant on you. So sometimes we say when we first open a salon, you want to get your creativity out and your name could be above the yeah. door. But sometimes that can be harder for you to step away from. The thing is, you can't expand without a team and you and you can't expand successfully without a great team and great teams don't just suddenly pop up unfortunately yeah. you have to develop them yeah, yeah. Um, and that takes time like you say Tim organically grow your team I learned a very very difficult lesson four years into my business when I was still only one salon and I had been developing albeit that I didn't know but naturally, I'd been developing my team organically and I'd been training them and getting them into the culture of Storm. And four years down the road, two key members of my team upped and left to open up their own salons. Yeah. And why did they do that? I was in shock. Okay. Not only that, they were going to take two aspiring stylists with them. So they were basically nearly wiping out 50% of my team. And I will be very honest about that now. It, it would have been the end of me. Yeah? The lesson I learned was very quickly build that brand. Build that brand strong so that your clients will be loyal to your brand. Not to a specific person. Not to a specific yeah. person. And I, that, was at the, that point was the key point for me when I realised I had to open a second salon and develop and cultivate a team that could take on more responsibility, almost like have, you know, their name above 
the door without it being above the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were key managers, they were key artists. And would you say as well they've got opportunities within the company to grow? Yes, so be careful if you think to yourself, I've got a fantastic team, I'm in one salon, I don't need to grow anymore. That's a dangerous thought in my mind because that's where I'd got to. I thought, this is yeah. it, I'm, I'm reaching it, I'm reaching it. And then I lost two members, nearly four. So I never ever I was all about protecting. All it's, the it's time. almost it's almost a rite of passage for any small business owner, I think, because even in non hairdressing fields, again, um, you know, a small team, when one person leaves, that's often twenty percent or twenty five percent of your team, whatever. And if you didn't see it coming, that can, you can get really caught out. Inevitably, you're going to lose some people along the way. But it's not going to hurt so much. Is no, it? and you can also. We haven't talked about franchising. That does give them. If your brand is strong, mm. let's say Storm is strong brand, then people can buy into that identity and want to be part of it. With a franchise system, that can help as long as you've yeah. got a good infrastructure behind to help. Yeah. Don't you think that almost, as you said at the beginning, when you decide what your objective is, you almost need to know from the start how big you're going to get, so you can put in those sort of career goals and know how you're going to grow your team and if you're only ever going to be small and one premises maybe and if that suits you and if that's in your game plan then bear that in mind when you're growing your team equally the other way but everything always needs to keep growing because Mm. if to stand still is to stop and go backwards Mm. at what point do you think about bringing in consultants or business advisors how would you advise someone to Probably, I would say probably at that stage of the business, you probably wouldn't need to, depending on what level your business is yeah. at. Generally, how a lot of people I've seen have grown in the early days, they give someone they work with a share of the business. That can always work. Right. So a, a lot of some of you have a great manager, you want to open another salon, they might take a percentage of that. So you sort of build up people that are tied into the business and got the same sort of passion. Yeah, invested in them. Invested as much into as you, it. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of how you'd work. And uh, a certain size... Uh, consultancies it, it depends in which area yeah because you could maybe break it down and outsource certain services or get yeah. advice on an aspect like PR or yeah um, yeah it's like bringing an accountant in I always think for a new business the, the after yourself the next most important person is your accountant yeah oh god yeah yeah, absolutely. That, the, the, the tax man has... Uh, yeah. He's not emotional, no, that tax man. <laughs> I mean, one of the things... I'm, I mean, you're absolutely right, Tim. Profit share is something I'm passionate about. You know, to to build your people, to to get them on board, to have a business within a business. Or, you know, I we, that's exactly what we did at Storm, and it's exactly what I um, encourage my salon owners to do now, is get a decent profit share scheme in place. Um, I've got notes on that actually because I just recently ran a course on it. But, oh, um, great, we'll include. Yes, so at the end of every podcast, listeners, you can scroll down and <laughs> see all the notes and all the references that our guests are making. So we'll make sure that we get everything we need from Penny and Tim before. But just to, just to say, you know, what what should trigger you to get a business consultant in? Because in the early days of Storm, that's exactly what we did. And I think um, one of the triggers should be that you feel that you are so busy as a salon owner that um, you are defocusing from the team, uh, you feel overrun and you feel that your team are maybe not reacting to you as well as they used to. Um, I think you need to step away from your business and get fresh eyes. It's very easy to get opinions. Now what I'm saying is 
fresh eyes in expert fresh eyes. Yeah. Somebody who's got a deep knowledge of the industry, deep knowledge of having salons themselves. I mean, interestingly enough, with headmasters, we've got infrastructure now that the reason why people like franchising is because they focus on the clients and we can do everything in the back for them, from their payroll to the accounts and give them advice. Mm -hmm. So they're really they're able to do that. When I started the new business up, the first thing I did was take on someone who I pay on a daily rate once a month, and they actually do a lot more, but they're a, a CFO and they give me exactly all the advice you're talking about, Penny, because I don't know enough to try and do it on my own. Yeah. So I, all, the first thing I did, and they are like a consultant, giving me all the advice and expertise I need, so I don't, I haven't got the time or the money just to keep making the mistakes. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's at the very beginning of the business. So we, we've sort of learned through our 30 odd year, 35 years, mm. 36 years of running headmasters to give a lot of that advice, but we still outsource in, yeah. in unusual ways. Yeah. One thing a good consultant should do is make a salon owner consistent. Yeah, uh, I find it's systems, systems and procedures and yeah. checklists. And it's and not that they have to do it themselves, it's they have to make sure it's being operated regularly. And this is one of the things I've, that salon owners really feel the benefit from myself is when I visit them once a month and I would say, right, let's do your review and we run through the checklist, oh no I haven't, and I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I say, well why haven't you? Mm. You know, why haven't you done that? Mm. And they're like, yeah. I really do need to do that. So you're not telling people off, but we all need sometimes somebody just backing us up, don't yeah. we? Well, what you said earlier as well about taking that time out as well to review the business. If you're looking, for example, 2019, if any of your listeners haven't got a marketing plan in place, looking when their busy days are, when their quiet mm -hmm. days, mm -hmm. and if you've got a strategy, which we do as a matter of course, and we're now looking at 2020 to make sure that we're, because you're just putting things in place and once it's done, yeah. otherwise you tend to be reacting and you can see what works and just do a few reviews of what's mm -hmm. working. What's not. And if you've got your consultant, they will help you with that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. About, it's about hold, I always say I hold the hand of a salon owner. I don't lead them. Yeah. Yeah, I hold their hand and then eventually someone, or a salon owner will say, don't need to. I don't need you to hold my hand, or oh, so you don't need. You yeah. don't need me to. And we could just check in. Yeah. You know. I am such a big believer in doing something so simple as a SWOT analysis on a regular basis. And if you're going to do anything for the start of 2019, do one of those. So can you say what a SWOT analysis? Yeah. Is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Explain. Yeah. So basically, uh, it SWOT analysis is um, is review. Yeah. So strengths. Weaknesses opportunities and threats SWOT SWOT we'll the, put that in the notes for everybody yeah, listening and do you know what I've written a great big articles on it because I'm, I'm quite weirdly I feel I am passionate about SWOT analysis because <laughs> I have seen the benefits of it so if you yeah. want to know more look at the notes section <laughs> Looping back to the planning, so Tim, for a, say if you're a one or two uh, or, or a small business, how far ahead should you plan? Like a six month, a year or a five year plan? Well, Do you have a if you set up your first business, I mean, when I look at a business, I have a sp specific number of seats that we have to have sections in the salon 
which I know I can have an optimum number of stylists working there. Which right, then I so can this work is out, working out how, yeah, whether you've reached the potential sound. of that sound. Yeah, and so then, talk us through that. Well, I tend to say, we would look as a company, generally 15 seats, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, in about 1,000 square foot. Okay. Um, that's sort of how we've done it. Some salons will, could do it less, but we work on that because it's to get our, the, the right break-even we need in the numbers. We try and break-even on half the number of seats we have. So let's say eight seats, and you're saying roughly a stylist takes a thousand pounds a week, for example, which they would take more, but if you work yeah. that as a base, mm-hmm. on eight thousand pounds, you've got eight seats, and you've got seven more seats to make your profit. Profit, right. That's a sort of rule of thumb we've done for years. Um, and then I can also work out how many stylists you'd have. So if you had 15 seats, mm-hmm. I would divide that by five working days, which would give you three. And then yeah. I'd mo- multiply by seven days in a week, which would give you 21. So in our rotors, we could have 21 stylists. Stylists, making sure that those 15 seats were working. To an optimum. And then on 21 stylists, even if you said it was a thousand pound stylist, which is generally probably 12, 1300 pound stylist, then you could be at minimum of 20,000, you'll be making a lot of profit. Now this is all net of that we talk, yeah. we're talking, mm-hmm. but that just seems, that's just always intrinsically in my head. Right. So, mm-hmm. but if you have, like Penny said, you had a structure of what you want one salon to do, of course you're not going to make, you have to, you've got extra cost, but then you can say if I had two, three, four, then you could think, some salons that I've seen have opened up in big cities, so they're sort of national, but for us it's always worked organically because someone mm-hmm. knows your brand in one area a bit like storm mm-hmm. then you open up near there people know your brand right yeah so, so it, it's a warm market yes, not a cold how market. many you have strategically where they're going to be placed yeah. Yeah. also we always talk about recruitment but how easy it is to recruit mm-hmm. is it near a, a place where you think you can get stylists train lines uh, you know anything with transport mm-hmm. to get to the mm-hmm. to the location um, so I, we look at all these different areas and postcodes and everything just to work out where we want to go to. When you're a bigger group, it's like we said, like moving an oil tanker, every decision has to be, it's more corporate because you've got to weigh up all the individuals, the franchisees, the company, how it will work in different areas, the pricing structure. When you're smaller and if you went to, you know, five sounds, you, you've got a lot more flexibility in the decision-making process. So. You really need to know where you want to be and how much time you want to spend on your business because you could have loads of, and you could just be inundated with stuff and never have any time. Mm. You could even have loads of money and no time. I can't mm. see the point of yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I mean, one of the things that I hear um, feedback from potential clients, they say, well, not right at the moment because I'm just too busy. And I think, you know what, that's the time when you really do need a consultant. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're too busy, you know, without, yeah. It's when you start making mistakes. Yeah. It's when you start missing the little things that are really important because all those little things are adding up. Yeah. And before you know where you are, somebody's left your company because they felt they haven't been listened to. Yeah. Or somebody or, else has stormed into your marketplace. Or exactly. <laughs> or you you're lo- drip feeding clients. You're not losing clients in a great big flood, but those clients are just drifting away, drifting away. Before you know where you are, you know you've got. You know, you're losing 25% of your client base. You can't afford to do that. So if you feel you're really busy and you're too busy to have a business consultant, that's a trigger. That's when you need to take a day out and sit down with, you know, an industry expert and rattle through your business. Even if it's just just to review, yeah, everything's right, it's in place. 
Yeah. I probably need to delegate this area out though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be just one simple thing. So talking about delegation and and if you're a business owner and I know that a lot of people struggle to let go, especially if they've built something up and they feel like, you know, I've I've built this salon up from the beginning and I want to maybe open another one or I've got three or four and I I feel that I can control four quite happily but I want more. You know, how how would you advise people to delegate or to know when to delegate? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I, don't, I can only talk about when I knew it was time to delegate was when I had the wake-up call with the two key members of staff leaving and I thought, I, I need to delegate to people. And one thing I would say, yeah, and I think any salon owner, uh, I don't know if you agree with me on this one, Tim, but I think they're all perfectionists, yeah? Mm. And um, what I would say is, I was anyway, look, Learn to grow and develop your people and as long as they've got your brand at heart and your culture at heart, don't try to turn them into, you know, like me, a second penny etheridge. Yeah. You've got to let these people have a character, a stamp, you know, a part of it, otherwise they never feel part of it. Mm. So I've worked off the 75% rule for many years now and I wish to God I'd lived off it long before <laughs> what is this what's the 75% rule please? basically if it's 75% right if you feel 75% right about somebody crack on yeah because if you wait for that perfect moment you'll, you'll miss it yeah yeah I mean yeah. I don't know how you feel about that one well, Tim. we have it's interesting because when I look at some of our franchisees this you can get some people who have a salon that once they've got the salon there's such an awe of it they start taking more money out than they they, they need then you've got the ones that are super tight and really watch every penny so it's sort of it's sort of working on the two different types and as far as delegation goes we, we're five directors in headmasters and we've never really we're quite happy to delegate all the time we've been quite lucky the reason why we've been together so long is the egos aren't there so we're not we're quite happy for people to take stuff on um, and, and, the, and as we've got older we're sort of less in touch really because everything changes doesn't it mm, it does. so it's important to bring people in who are current stuff yeah. Yeah. Mm. so from areas from marketing and pr and the artistic team um and it's getting people who have got those strengths i mean we recently brought andrew barton in mm. because we we wanted to make sure someone was looking after the art team uh in a, in a way that mm. would assist them and help them who's had the experience in the artistic world rather than so it's sort of to give that input to them yeah which so is again it's bringing in expertise expertise isn't it? and, so. and I think delegating wise some people aren't going to be finding it difficult when, they, when they've got one or two sounds it's quite hard to let go yeah. yeah so I think it's that word isn't it it's delegating letting go uh, but investing in people is, is the flip side of it so maybe mm-hmm. try and see it more as a positive you know investing in somebody allowing them to grow allowing them to take ownership and then actually you're building a much more loyal, invested team. But it comes back to that knowing what you want. By letting go or delegating, you make it less about yourself, which if you're going to grow your business, means that people aren't just coming to you all the while. You know, you're allowing like a network underneath you to build up strong. Yeah. That, that, and that resonates with us as well. We've, mm. we've got, with the franchisees, interesting enough, once they become franchisees, they are amazing people because they, they embrace the responsibility and what they're doing. And they've 
a lot of some of our franchises already got other franchises with 50% partners in those franchises. Really? Yeah. They've because they've inspired their managers. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of and it's it, it keeps expanding and expanding. So the more encouragement and if it's a culture of letting people do stuff. I mean, I'm I 100% believe in making mistakes. Mm. I mean, I love making mistakes because if I'm not, I'm not doing something new. Mm. So mm. as long as you don't keep making the same mistake over and over again. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> the, 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 you're making lots and lots of mistakes. It's brilliant if you're learning from it. So circling back to the main question then about how to, to build your business and to keep your identity as something that someone could do, someone who's listening today, could do what what would be your advice do you think write a mission statement write your intention down for where you want your business to be and and review it maybe in a year's time what would be I, your... I, I think that you you can write anything down on paper and have a vision vision of where you want to be rather than a mission mm-hmm. statement and then if you do the SWOT analysis PR has always been very important to us to help build your brand I believe in that some people don't and I think mm-hmm. With even with social media now, if you get that right, it really can assist you. Um, and marketing goes along with that. If you get someone, you get some really good, unique marketing ideas. Um, a consultant will always help if you're a small business because you can bring them in. You're not employing them, and they can give you advice and they'll tell you what you don't want to hear. But I would pretend. I would say, right, let's see what you know. You have to do the detail, really. And that's what the deficit. If I borrow X amount of money to grow in year one. And then when would I be able to get the, when would that have to hit break even that sound to get the next salon? And if you do the SWOT analysis, it, it will really give you, on paper you say, wow, I've got, you know, I don't really have to work that much, got a brilliant team, that's where I want to be. Or conversely, it's not really what, what I want, I'm working 80 hours a week. Mm. So that would be my sort of uh, advice. And for you, Penny? Um, just, because uh, Tim has, um, I agree totally and, and covered most of the subjects, just a little tip that you can do right now is write down your thoughts and keep them safe. Uh, there will be a powerful reminder of your company's ethos and vision further down the line. Write it down on a piece of paper, put it away somewhere safe, get it out regularly, and you know what, in a year's time, if it doesn't work, you can change it because nobody else will know, but it's for you. Yeah, and keeps you focused. And it helps you lead your team, I suppose. Brilliant. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Penny and Tim. You've both been brilliant, and it's been really interesting and informative, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I could stay here on the set. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free, but we're going to go off air now. We will write lots of notes, so thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I've been Nikki Pope. And I've been Lily Cox. And as ever, we'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to drop us an email at info at ihaa.co.uk with any of your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. And you can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Look out for the respectfully sign. Until next time, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye.